Good evening. Um, tonight's reading will be from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 21. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the, man, the manifold wisdom of God might, know, might, now, sorry, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose your heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, for, or, ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. That's God's word for us this evening. Good evening, church. Once again, um, it is a joy, isn't it, to sing that God is for you. Uh, one pastor was saying that anytime people speak of different gods, anytime they speak about, for instance, uh, the new age god, Mother Nature, it always seems like Mother Nature is for you, but when, whenever we speak about God, it seems like God is this being who's against us. Isn't it a joy to hear that the gospel message is that God is for you? Amen. Um, one of the things that we've been doing uh, as, a, as a church is that we've been looking at the book of Ephesians uh, together, and this book speaks about how God is for us, uh, how we belong uh, to him. And so I do pray that as you come in, wherever you may be at, in your spiritual walk, wherever, if you're searching or you have been a Christian for a while, that you sense a deep uh, sense of belonging uh, as you engage with other people, but also as you hear God's word being proclaimed. Um, just to summarize what Ephesians has been about, this idea of belonging, Paul has been saying to these Christians that they belong to God, not because of anything that they have done, uh, but because of all that God has done. That belonging is not about our performing. Belonging is something that we are granted freely uh, through the message of the gospel. Uh, and that's what we're going to 
uh, discover this, uh, this evening as we end of a particular section in this letter to Paul uh, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. So please bow your heads as our leaders in a time of prayer. O oh Lord, you are great and mighty. You love all that is good and hate what is evil. We come before you knowing that all that we bring are filthy hands before you. Yet, Lord, we thank you for the message of the gospel, uh, that this evening we can celebrate the fact that we belong to you, uh, that we belong not because of what we've done, uh, but all that you have done. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. Heavenly Father, we pray that those who came in who may not know you as Father would realize just how much you love them, just how much you have done for them, what you have done for them, uh, that they would come to the knowledge of you. But I do pray tonight, as we look at your word, uh, that it would be come with power, that we would walk out here wanting to live for you uh, and to live for others uh, in this world that you've placed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so you may be asking yourself a question uh, of you belong. It seems like we've been saying the same thing week in, week out, and yes, we have. And that's what Paul has been doing. He's been honing in the same thing day in, day out towards this Christian, this idea that they belong to God. He's been beating the drum uh, over and over again. It was Martin Luther who said that we need to, uh, and he was speaking to ministers, that they need to beat the gospel into people's heads week in, week out. I need to beat the gospel into my head week in and week out. Because the reality is that my thinking, my thought pattern, my inclinations is to not think that I belong, is to think that I can work towards my belongings, to think that I can work towards appeasing God and gaining his love for me. Uh, so that's why Paul spends this time uh, speaking to these Christians and telling them in the first three chapters that they belong to God. In multiple different ways, he uses different pictures to hone in the same, same point. And the question again is, why? What, to what end is he doing that? Uh, to what end are we being reminded that God loves us? Uh, to what end are you, as you are sitting here this evening, should you hear these words again? God loves you. I wonder if you came in believing that. Uh, I wonder if you will, as we get, go through our scriptures, begin to comprehend this love that God uh, has for, for, for you. But why is it that Paul tells these Christians uh, that they are loved? Well, we don't have to wonder a lot about that. As you may remember what we said was that chapter 1, 2, 3, Paul speaks about this concept of uh, belonging. Then chapter 4, 5, 6, he tells them, he tells the Christians on how to live this love uh, out in the society that God uh, has placed them. Uh, so this love that God has for Christians ought to lead Christians to live lives of love towards others. In other words, our vertical relationship with God, every, every time you read about that in the Bible, uh, you will realize that it has horizontal implications. So our relationship with God has implications uh, for our relationship with others. In fact, another writer by the name 
of John says, puts it this way. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And throughout scripture, God has been trying to redeem us from not loving him and not loving neighbor. Uh, and through the gospel, he makes us, or he loves us first, uh, so that we can love him. And we know that we love him by loving other people. So in other ways, those two different things are not actually different. They are part of the same, uh, same coin. Uh, so Paul wants these Christians uh, to know the love of God uh, so that they can go out and live it in their everyday life. I can almost picture them as they receive this letter. It wasn't like a quick WhatsApp message. It was a well-thought-through, well-put-together piece of literature. It was well put put together by Paul as he was grappling and struggling in prison, contending for the same gospel, uh, the same gospel that told Gentiles and Jews that they belong to God because of what Christ has done, and not because of uh, the background that they came from, not because of their obedience to the law, uh, not because they went to synagogue and to church, Uh, but because God had done a mighty thing uh, in their lives. I can imagine them receiving this letter in in those ancient worlds. You didn't have a lot of copies like we have copies of the Bible. So it must have been maybe one letter circulating among different house churches. It must have been packed in that house like a midland flat uh, as you try to pick, uh, pack uh, maybe 40 people in a small flat. They didn't have deodorant, so you can picture with me uh, the smells that are coming there as people are just anticipating to hear uh, this message of the Apostle Paul. And so they come in waiting to hear uh, about this Apostle who has been uh, in jail. They're coming in to be encouraged uh, because they are uh, discouraged. Uh, so they would not have read the letter to the Ephesians in the same way that we, we did. Uh, they would have said and read all of it. Maybe week in, week out, somebody would open uh, that scroll or that parchment and read for them from beginning and share to them chapter 1, 2, 3, the love of God and then call them to live differently uh, as we go, get on to uh, chapter 4. Um, probably in their midst would have been guys, I don't know which, what we will call them, uh, we'll call one Lebuchang and another one uh, Matlakala. They were probably fighting among themselves, did not want to be in the same room together. One was sitting at the corner in that packed room, the other one was sitting the opposite side of it because these were real people uh, who were engaging with the real God, who was talking to them about their real struggles and calling them to live the real Christian life. Uh, And so Paul would once again remind them of the love of the Father and later on say that you must behave in loving ways by being patient with one another. What's going to make you patient, Matlakala, and what's her name, Lebuchang, is the patience that God had towards you. Uh, the love of God, the patience of God leads us to behave in patient ways towards one another. Perhaps in there was uh, a rich man who owned slaves and who used to uh, think to himself as the ancient uh, people used to. Uh, the slaves, children and wives are your property. 
Uh, that was the reality in the ancient world. So you would do with them anything that you wanted because they were your property. Uh, you would um, own them and do as you please with them. Uh, so as he sits there, this rich man, he hears the message of Jesus, uh, of this man who had ultimate authority, uh, who used his authority uh, to show his love towards others. And Paul goes on to say in chapter 6 that this gospel message needs to transform Roman families. Roman families were comprised of those slaves, the children, and wives. That in the same way that Christ sacrificed himself towards the church, uh, they ought to, as men, live lives that are radically different. This was a countercultural message. This was a revolutionary message of both the love of God as they sit there in that cluttered room uh, listening to this. Uh, another lady was probably Gertrude, uh, who used to gossip quite a lot. And perhaps as, he, as she was anticipating to hear this letter, she was thinking to herself, I don't know who Paul has beef with today, but I'm, I'm looking forward to go to church to hear him unpacking the realities of their lives. Um, Gertrude was there. She's perhaps a gossiper. She hears the love of God. Paul encourages her as she reads on uh, to move away from gossip and to move in loving ways uh, towards uh, his, her neighbor. Uh, there was probably racial tension within the church. We figured that out by last week's uh, sermon, uh, that you had this group of people who were called the Jews who saw themselves as people who belong and saw other people as people who, who don't belong. Uh, they saw themselves as people who had the very word of God uh, and therefore saw these Gentiles as second-class citizens. That's why Paul, uh, last week, tells them that they are fellow citizens with the Jews. That's why he tells them this week that they are fellow citizens uh, with, um, with God's people. Therefore, they ought to behave not like their gentle ways, but in loving ways uh, towards one another. Uh, perhaps in that, in that room you had Nkululeko, Nkululeko who was a new convert. He probably loved Jesus so much, but then when life hit him, when life just went out of control, when God seemed like he wasn't answering his prayer, and Guguleko turned to the, to the ancestors uh, to appease them uh, and to, uh, to go sacrifice for them so that life uh, would go well. And Paul says that the love of God should assure you uh, that God is committed to you. He is for you. Therefore, you don't need to practice those things. In fact, his very power is at work in chapter 6 uh, to fight against uh, the powers of evil. Uh, that is what Paul would remind them. Uh, perhaps there you had so many different people who had just moved from being Christians. Uh, so to them, sleeping around was a normal thing. Uh, to go into the temple, uh, to go sleep with a prostitute was the religion of the day. Uh, so uh, you can imagine uh, the gospel message challenging them that God loves you. God has made you belong so that you can move in loving ways. And you're going to see that uh, as we dig into chapter 4, 5, 6, that if you truly love somebody, if you truly apply the love of God that we see in the first part of this letter, you would not want to 
use them as objects for your, for your satisfaction. Perhaps in that, in that church, uh, there, were, there was a couple, <laughs> a couple that was fighting, um, came in different cars. I don't know if you've ever been there, if you are a couple. Uh, of course, you guys have never been there. You are godly. But they came in angry at each other, and Paul reminds them that God loves you. But this love of God, uh, this love, very often when we think about love in our culture, it's this soothing feeling that, yeah, yeah, God loves me. But actually in the Bible, the love of God is the kind of love that, uh, that pushes you uh, towards other people. Uh, my summary for this evening is that love can only grow wildly outside if it is rooted deeply inside. Uh, the love of God is the kind of love that is deeply rooted, as we're going to see, but not just for the sake of love, but for the sake of pushing us outward in love towards others. Uh, so there was the whole letter as they read it. They didn't separate this love of God uh, and the actions. Uh, they first heard about God who loves them and were in turn led to love others. Here's what one commentator says about this theme of love as it plays itself out in the book of Ephesians. He says that the theme of love has a dominant place within the book of Ephesians and in other instances where the Ephesian uh, church is addressed. It seems reasonable to conclude that the purpose of, of Ephesians is to promote a love for one another that has a love, love of God and Christ as its basis. Paul is wanting to have them the basis of God's love as a launch pad for their Christian life. Uh, if you still don't believe me, have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. Notice the logic there. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. This is the transition that Paul makes uh, from the first three chapters. I therefore, Paul, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's been telling them that God has called them from darkness into his kingdom. God has called them from uh, following the prince of this world into his kingdom. And because of this calling that they have received, they must, their lives must be worthy uh, of this calling. Paul is saying to them, you belong to God, and therefore live out your belonging. Live as if you are somebody who belongs. Again, if you're still not convinced, have a look at chapter 5, verse 1. The logical conclusion of God's love, uh, God's acceptance of us as children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. How, how, how are you supposed to live? Have a look at verse 2, which you're going to see later on in the year as we look at um, Ephesians 5. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So this one big chapter, this one big um, letter moves from God's love to encouraging us to live in loving ways towards one another. The commentator goes on to say that he uses the example of God's, God's and Christ's love to the human race in general and to believers in particular, which serve as a basis of the believer's love for one another. Uh, this provides the basis for unity. Uh, this was a church that was fighting uh, amongst each other. Uh, this uh, love that uh, Paul preaches provides that sense of unity. And so time and time again, Paul will tell them that you, you guys are one. 
So live as you as if you are one. You guys are one, but you are going to experience that your oneness, the reality of your oneness, is not what you experience. Uh, the reality that those people who are packed in a room are together in Christ, that, may, that spouse, um, uh, husband and wife who are fighting, the reality is that they are one in Christ, but their experience is that they are uh, finding uh, each other at conflict. Uh, and so Paul uh, reminds them of this love. Possibly realizing, the commentator goes on to say, that the Ephesians were starting to forsake their first love, Paul wrote this letter to encourage them to love both God and their fellow saints more deeply. So our summary again of this, uh, this section is that love can only grow wildly outside if it is deeply rooted inside. You can only grow to love other people. You can only grow to live the Christian life if you are deeply rooted in the love of God and in your belonging. And if you don't belong, you will behave in ways that are destructive for Christian community. And we're going to see, uh, see that as well. Uh, so I want to uh, tackle three quick things uh, this evening. Number one is that we all have a distorted view of God. Number two is that our distorted view of God's love, or rather we all have a distorted view of God's love. Uh, the second thing is that this distorted view of God's love impacts the way we relate to others. Uh, and then lastly, this is a prayer. We ought to be praying that God will draw, grow, grow us deeply in this love um, that he has loved us with. That's what Paul prays for this Ephesians Christians, that they would come to know uh, the love of God. So let's look at the, the first point, which is that we, have, we all have a distorted view of love. Uh, tonight, right here in this room, there are two kinds of people. When somebody says there are two kinds of people, you should be uh, alert and awake. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, Paris supporters and chief supporters, right? Those are polar opposites, uh, down with the bugs. Um, two types of people, not just pirates supporters and Kaiser Chiefs supporters. Those who view God as Father and those who view him as like a take-a-lot app. Those who view him as father, those who view him as take a lot at the take a lot app. You know the take a lot app, right? Uh, you browse around in your free time. Uh, very often, if you have time, you make time for God. You browse through and you go onto the website when you pass in town to view the things that you that you like, and then you click on them uh, on the wish list. And one day, when you gather enough money, you click a button of what you like. And you cut it and then pay, and then you get it. Very often that, that is our idea, this transactional relationship between ourselves and God, uh, that we view God as this vending machine, that we can work our way towards him blessing us. We can work our way towards uh, avoiding struggle in this life. As long as we come to church, as long as we're nice to the pastor, uh, as long as we give towards God's work, uh, it will be all uh, all good. In fact, for many of us uh, this evening, Gen Zs and Millennials, uh, we think that by our charity work, uh, we can work our way towards God. And you may be thinking, well, that's, that's a bit harsh, and nobody thinks of God that way. Um, of course, we don't 
often have that in our foreheads um, and in our minds. Um, but if you think about major religions and how they work, it is often this transaction between God and people, that we do stuff for God, and then he does stuff back towards us. Uh, we bless him uh, for him to bless us. Um, if you want a litmus test for yourself uh, to test when you are veering off into this take a lot God, um, ask yourself this question. When you're faced with difficulties, what are some of the things that you feel? When you've served God for many years and you find yourself struggling in life, um, I don't know if you find yourself there where you're like, but God, I've served you. God, I've been faithful to you. Why, is, why are these things happening to me? It is those moments that make us realize how much of a transactional relationship we have with him. Uh, the other test is, what are some of the things we are disappointed with God? What are some of the things that make us disappointed with God? Perhaps you've been praying for something and then that thing doesn't work uh, and you think to yourself, God, why why is it that my prayers are not reaching you? Uh, One pastor said that prayer is not a button to be pushed, but a relationship to be pursued. And we're going to see that uh, as Paul prays for the Ephesians because he's very much interested in this relationship uh, with God. He's not interested in the take a lot God. He's interested in the God who loves him as Father. A God who knows what is good for you, for me, and has given it to us. Uh, a Father who wants a relationship with us. Those are chalk and cheese. Those are different worlds. And very often we find ourselves drifting towards the take a lot God. Uh, this idea that he owes us uh, certain things. If you are to be honest uh, with our grudges against God with our dissatisfaction with him, at the heart of it is this view of God uh, that he is a vending machine. Uh, so we all have a distorted uh, relationship with God. We all don't understand this concept that we belong because he loves us, not because we've given anything to him, uh, but because he, he has given everything uh, to us. So that's the first point our distorted view of God. The second one being that that distorted view of God hinders the way we relate um, to one another. It hinders the way we relate um, to, uh, to one another. This is why Paul spends time reminding these guys time and time again from verses 1 to 13 of God's mighty, mighty act. Um, we don't have time to go through all of it. I'm, I'm just going to rush through this 11, 13 verses. And notice the word that has been repeated there. Notice the imagery that has been uh, depicted there. Uh, notice the love of God that shines through this, this, um, this piece of uh, this passage. For this reason, uh, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles... Uh, he starts off in verses 1 by saying, for this reason, uh, and then he goes on onto a tangent that he picks up again in verse 14. He's about to pray for them, uh, for them to grow deeply in this love for, for God. 
Uh, but he goes on in a tangent. For this reason, I, Paul, a, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. So he's telling them a bit about his life, a bit about his message, a bit about how this message changes the way that they relate to one another, uh, changes the way that Jews and Gentiles relate to one another. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. Now, you remember that Paul was a man who used to persecute Christians for a living. He used to go around hunting them, uh, but he says that at some point, uh, God's grace was extended towards him, and this mystery was given to him. When you read this, you perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it is now being revealed to the Holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery that Paul is speaking about, that he has insight into, was revealed to the prophets and apostles. What is this mystery? Verse 6. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What is he doing there? He's saying to them, like, my insight is that God is doing something to bring both Jews and Gentiles into one family. That is the message I've dedicated my life to. That is the message that's going to break the barriers we saw last week, uh, this barrier between Jews and Gentiles. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, done the very least of the saints, this grace was given, was given uh, this grace to preach to the Gentile the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, in whom, verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access. So Gentiles who had a distorted relationship with the Jews, who could not access the very presence of God, as we saw last week, now have boldness and access uh, to the presence of God. And they can enter it with confidence through faith in him. Uh, and say so he goes on to say, don't lose heart because I'm in prison uh, for this, uh, this gospel. Paul highlights this did you notice the repeated word? What is the repeated word? Somebody, this is the part where you talk to me. Repeated word, anyone? It comes across four times. Mystery. Okay, so he's talking about this mystery. And the mystery is that these people who are apart are now together. These people who did not belong now belong uh, to God. That God has fixed that broken relationship uh, that they had, uh, that now they all stand equal before God. Um, and that is a big thing. This, that's, that's a big thing. Because very often when we think about the community of God's people, when you think about the church, uh, especially if you come from the streets, especially if life has been rough, especially if you have not lived as a Christian, very often it feels like you don't belong but Paul says the mystery, yes, the mystery that was hidden, uh, the mystery is that now through Jesus, people who slept 
with, I don't know, 60, 70 people, um, and somebody who's a virgin have the same access and have the same confidence to stand before God and say, I belong. Uh, those two people, um, both loved by God, uh, those two people ought not to judge one another. Uh, the one who is a virgin ought not to judge somebody who has a high body count, as the streets would say. Um, both of us have access to the same Father. Do you see how this message brings together communities? This message says, we all here stuffed up. Uh, so nobody can come here and judge anybody. Amen. Uh, you should never feel that as you come to church that you don't belong. You belong. <laughs> not because of your past, not because of your present, but because of what God has done. Very often we distort that love, and that love distorts how we view community. Uh, one um, anthropologist speaks of three different ways uh, that we uh, distort human community. Uh, so anytime that we don't feel like we belong, we either hustle for it by moving away from people, uh, moving towards people, and moving against people. Let me explain what they mean by that. Uh, you can either move away from people, okay? So you feel like, I don't belong, therefore it distorts your relationships. So what do you do? You avoid church. What do you do? They invite you and you're like, no, nah, I don't want to go there. <laughs> because those people have their life in order, right? Uh, I don't know if you ever felt like that. So you want to move uh, away from them. Or maybe you are part of a Christian community and you find yourself in deep sin. And you just think, man, I... I don't want to go back there. I don't want to expose my sin before people. In fact, in other churches where I grew up, they would cut you off if you fell pregnant outside of wedlock. Um, so quite normally people would hide. People would run away from Christian community. Very often when we don't understand our love for God, that's what we do. Uh, this uh, anthropologist says we withdraw, we hide, we silence ourselves, we keep secrets. I don't know if you've ever been there or you feel like I'm, I'm coming to Bible study, uh, but these guys better not know what my life is about uh, because if they did, then I wouldn't feel like uh, I belong. So that's how we move away and run away from community because we don't feel like we belong. Sometimes it, this, uh, this anthropology says we move towards people, and by that it means that you move towards people so that people can be the ones who validate your belonging. Okay, so you, you don't feel like we belong, so you want to be a people pleaser, uh, you want to seek a, a approval from other people, uh, so you, uh, you hustle for it, you move towards community, uh, instead of running towards the love of God, you run towards the love of people to be the thing that validates you. Uh, that gives you the stem that you belong. Very often we do that. When we distort the love of God, when we find ourselves broken and sinful, uh, it distorts those relationships we have uh, with one another. The other thing that we do is that we move against. Uh, and that simply means uh, that you exercise power over others, uh, that you want to be the one who, in Bible study, gives the right answers. You want to be the one in Bible study to be seen as Yikes, that guy is such a theologian. Um, how many books has he read? We do that, don't we? Uh, we do that by gaining power over others because, again, you don't feel like you belong to God. 
Uh, therefore, you're going to seek that belonging uh, by overpowering others, uh, by being mean towards others. Um, I've been reading this book called, um, it's on emotions. It's called Raising Emotionally Strong Boys. And I'm learning so much. It's about parenting, but I'm, I'm learning that <laughs> I'm not emotionally strong, right? Like, you know when you read a book about parenting and it's like, Flip, like, I think I wasn't parented well. I need to go back to the drawing board and refigure my life and how I manage my emotions. Uh, and in one part, uh, this, um, this writer goes on to talk about how boys very often uh, use, use um, performance and overpowering others as a tool to calm the storm that's inside of them. Uh, he goes on, he says that interestingly, interestingly enough, overperforming is a dressed up version of numbing out. Uh, so very often people who come across as confidence, come across at your workplaces, if you look at that guy, yeah, nah, he's, a, he's an overperformer. Everyone looks at them like the big dara, as they say it in Zim, the, the guru of everything. Very often that's a dressed up version of numbing out. And an inability to deal with the discomfort of life drives a need to shut down the internal storm with external performance. To the degree that I feel out of control internally, I will work to try to control something externally, whether it's people, outcomes, situations, or circumstances. It's an attempt to quiet the storm that's raging inside. The louder the storm, the more desperate he, the need for control is. Uh, so I know that that's speaking about uh, emotions, but I think also in the Christian life, very often when we don't feel like we belong, what do we do? We move towards uh, others or against others. Uh, we want to control them. Uh, we want to control situations around us. We want to structure our lives in such a way uh, that um, we don't feel uh, like it, it's, a, it's a storm out there. Uh, we're not deeply rooted in the love of God. And the only way for us to transition into chapter 4, 5, 6, the only way for us to transition towards living out our belonging uh, is to go back to understanding just how much God loves us. So first point is we often don't understand the love of God. The second one is that when we don't do that, we move in destructive ways towards one another. The last one is that we need to pray that God would give us power to understand just how much he loves us. And that's what we see in verse 14. This is Paul praying for these Christians, these Christians who already knew the gospel. Listen to what he prays for and how he prays for this reason. And he uses a humble posture before a loving father and a mighty God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He has this humble posture before, before God as Father. And notice what he prays for. Now, if you're in jail, what would you pray for? If you had an audience with God, what, what is the one thing you'd pray for? Not what Paul prays for. Listen to what he prays for. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Someone say power to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul says, I'm praying that God will strengthen you in your inward being, uh, in the very core of who you are. 
Why do you need the strength? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, so that Christ may take that space up, that uh, space that controls who you are, your inner being, your heart. That you've been rooted and grounded in love. Verse 18, may have strength. So Paul prays for strength. So that we may have strength to comprehend, to, to, to come to an understanding. What is that power used for? To understand. What are we here to, what, what are we seeking to understand? To have strength, verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth. And then he doesn't give this a subject. What is the breadth, length, height, and depth of what? Well, it's quite evident that he's talking about the love of God. Uh, he's saying that what he, the one thing he prays for is that you would have strength, strength to understand, strength to understand the depth of God's love, the length of God's love, the height of God's love, uh, and the, the breadth of it. Um, now, I, I did, uh, what is that other, not pure math. <laughs> What's the other one? Uh, math, math lit. <laughs> no, I didn't do, I didn't do math lit. Um, but I, 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 I was trying to understand all those dimensions, right? I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, what's, what's length, but basically it means everything, uh, everything. God must, um, the love of God, so Paul is saying that God would give us strength to understand that God loves you completely in all directions, uh, that it's, his love is long enough to embrace you when you run, out, run away from him. Uh, this, his love is high enough to cover all your performance that you think you can bring to him. His love is above your, uh, your performance. Uh, his love is long enough to reach you and go out to reach you whenever your heart drifts away uh, from you. Paul says, I need you, I need God to empower these Christians uh, to know this love. Um, and what baffled me, what um, dropped in my head time and time again when I read this, is that, wow, like, it seems like it's not an easy thing to comprehend the love of God. Because why would you want to pray for power to understand God's love if it was that easy to understand? Meaning, humanly speaking, you and I cannot even begin to comprehend this four-dimensional love of God that covers everything. We need power from above for him to help us do that. Amen. And that's what Paul prays for, and uh, hopefully that is what you are going to pray for as you come into this week. As you look at your own life and say, do I really grasp this concept. I'm pointing there because this graphic is there. <laughs> this concept that you belong. But I don't belong for myself, right? I belong for other people. And very often in my life, I'm not going to feel that way. Uh, very often sin will have the better of me. Very often my selfishness will have the better of me. Very often I'm going to distort this love. In fact, when you think about you, very often the English language seems like it's talking to you individually, but when you read Ephesians, you realize that Paul is talking to the church. So you is plural there. Lo, na, yele. Is it that in Africans? It's not the singular I. So that to remind the Christian that you're not living for just yourself. This idea that you belong is that you belong, like y'all belong, right? Y'all belong not for the sake of you, but that you would move in loving ways towards others. 
But unless God does something of a miracle in you, unless he moves by his spirit to strengthen you, to understand how deep he loves you, you will not move in loving ways towards others. Now let me ask you this question. (laughs) As you go into this week, perhaps as you grapple with this, as you pray this for your own life, ask yourself this question. When are you most tempted to hustle for belonging by moving against people, uh, moving towards people, uh, moving away from people? When are you most tempted to, to do that? When are you most tempted to not believe that you belong to God? And take that thought and pray this prayer for yourself this week. And I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us in light of what Paul says in verse 20 to 21 because he says God can achieve this. God can bring this prayer to fruition. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations. God can achieve this. God can open our minds and empower us to understand deeply how he loves us so that we can move towards others in love. I'm going to pray that God will do that for us. Please bow your heads. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the Christian message. We are so thankful uh, that week in, week out, uh, you've told us uh, this message of uh, belonging. Um, But you remind us also to not be people who think of ourselves only, not be, to be people who uh, just think that this love is just for us and to warm our hearts. Yes, you love us individually, and we, we just glory in that, Lord, that you love, as the, the, uh, the hymn writer says, that you take a wretched person like us and make us into diamonds. Um, so we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful that we can, no matter where we come from, no matter what we have done, all stand before God and boldly proclaim that we belong to this community. Um, So I pray for somebody who comes in from a dark space, uh, someone who comes in and maybe has caused abortion uh, or committed abortion, someone who is grappling with sin and sleeping with their partner, somebody who's coming in with a heavy heart that struggles to forgive, somebody who comes in with a broken relationship, somebody who may not know you, that you'd give us power this evening to understand this love of God. you give us power to look at the cross and see the majesty of a God who comes to people who are not loving um, and, and yet you make us this beautiful diamond. You loved us, and you adopted us and brought us into your family. And so, therefore, Lord, we pray that we would deeply understand this, that as we transition to uh, the next uh, section, uh, that we may not feel every Sunday that we've been condemned or dragged around to obedience, but that we would remember that the only way for us to obey you the only way to act in loving ways towards others is by knowing just how much you loved us. Uh, so may this power be at work uh, this coming week 
um, in our lives. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.